welcome back to the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute. Surely I will require your lifeblood. From every beast I will require it, and from every man, from every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. That's from Genesis 9, verses 5 and 6. And with that, I welcome you to this week's episode of the Podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute, also to be found on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. I am Ryan Aris, and it is my privilege to be joined once again by Dr. Joe Boot. Joe, good to see you. Good we to are be absolutely. We're smack dab right on the. Uh, Right on the middle marker of our series through the Ten Commandments. We've done the first five. We've welcomed some good guests. And uh, it's just uh, Joe and I here this week to talk about the Sixth Commandment. Sixth Commandment says, you shall not murder. And we're going to get into uh, what that means, what, uh, what a definition of murder is, uh, what a, uh, and what a standard looks like for uh, upholding and applying and living that out both positively and negatively, and there are, there are many applications and implications of this this short commandment that uh, that we'll get Joe to dig into. Before we dive all the way in, just a quick reminder that uh, this month's <clears throat> excuse me this month's book of the month is the Mission of God by Joe Boot. If you've ever been to uh, an Ezra Institute event. You'll and seen our book table. Uh, that's the big one, the big uh, thick red book, uh, the Mission of God. Uh, that is on sale all this month of March at EzraPress.com. And I remind you once again that we've got several training programs coming up this uh, this spring and summer. First up is the Runner Academy. That's starting on May seventh. Uh, that's a two week program happening in Chatsworth, Georgia, and this is the uh, really the most uh, in-depth and intensive residential program that we offer. We are now accepting applications for it. You can visit ezrainstitute.com and find out all the information about that, as well as uh, some of our uh, our shorter programs. The, the next one after that is the Christianity and Culture Colloquium. That's coming up on the heels of the Runner Academy in Deerwood, Minnesota. That's just... Uh, three and a half days together where we deal with many of the same cultural apologetics themes that Runner will deal with, but it's for a general audience, uh, you know, people who can't get all that much time off of work, come on out and uh, and spend a few days with us in Deerwood, Minnesota. And finally, the, uh, the week-long Worldview Leadership Academy. That's for high school-age students and again, the uh, the themes, the messaging is is all the same. It's all of the stuff that uh, all of our listeners uh, by now have come to expect from the Ezra Institute: uh, Christian apologetics, worldview thinking, how to think Christianly uh, in every aspect of life. These are the themes that we deal with, and how they how they play out, how they obtain in all of our life, all of our work, and our calling. Visit EzraInstitute.com. Applications, registrations, dates, and all the information is available there. 
and we will uh, we'll look forward to uh, to seeing you this spring this summer. And with that, I want to uh, again welcome you to today's topic. So, Joe, we uh, in in talking about some of the previous commandments, uh, we've uh, we've joked about about this commandment: uh, "You shall not murder." About how how easy it is to keep, and we're all just actively not murdering uh, while we go about everything that uh, that we do. But uh, in in all seriousness, it's uh, there's much more involved than than just that uh, that simple sentence. Uh, you know, there are we we start with the the question of you know the what is the definition of murder? Uh, some translations uh, will say will use the word murder. Other translations will say uh, the broader term kill. And we're not uh, in, we we need some direction on that. We see elsewhere in Scripture that there are cases where the taking of a life is lawful and just. There are cases where uh, doing less than um, lethal measures are unlawful. So there's a, there's a lot of scope for for discussion and a lot of uh, a great need for clarity around this uh, this commandment. So maybe you can maybe we can start there with uh, with establishing and uh, defining our terms and boundaries for this. Mm -hmm. Well, yes, we do tend to think with this commandment easy to read over and assume that uh, we are keeping it. Uh, no, we're not uh, uh, the vast majority of people in the world today are not engaged in deliberately taking the life of another person. But as you've said, mm. there's a lot more uh, going on here. There's a lot more to it than that. And that's why, interestingly, the, the instruction, the Torah, the law of God, which places us in structure, in God's structure for creation, uh, the case law especially is really important when teasing out the meaning of this law. We have mm. to look at all of the biblical material because the details of application, significance, meaning with respect to this are, are dealt with all over scripture and of course all over the all over the uh, Torah, the law of God it, itself. So fundamentally, if we're going to have any real handle on this commandment, we have to understand first the value of life and the source of life so to 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 recognize and and we will of course with all the various aspects of god's law if we don't understand that they're rooted in the character and nature of a holy god we will tend to think of god as inexplicably angry or harsh uh, unless we recognize that God's law is a value processing system. It, it is teaching us values. And because there mm. are sanctions uh, attached to the law of God, it's not just advice. There are um, punishments. There's blessing and cursing involved. Uh, blessings for obedience, cursings for disobedience. Uh, unless we grapple with that and grasp that, uh, that reality, um, we won't we won't see why the details of God's law are are so important. That this is for our good. Now, at the root of this commandment is the fact that God is the author of all life. 
He's the creator of all things. We go to the book of Genesis and we immediately see there a God who has created all things, all things as well in which the breath of life are present. And then there is, of course, the uniqueness of God's creation of human beings as his image bearers. That isn't, of course, to do with us being in somehow finite replicas of God or physically uh, looking like God who is spirit. It's, it's of course, a slightly different issue when we talk about the incarnation, because in that sense, we do look like God because the son of God, the son of man is truly human. But the, 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 the force of the image of God language has to do with our calling. It's the religious root, the moral force Uh, of what it means to be a human being with the breath of God in us called to a peculiar and particular purpose. And God's unique uh, means of making human beings, the only creatures made in his image in terms of righteousness, holiness, and dominion, means that uh, the human life above all life uh, is valued by God, has, has a unique value placed upon it. So God is the source of life. All of life is uh, governed by God and all life can only be um, taken on his terms. And so mm -hmm. there is, a, even with the non-human life, there is a stewardship involved uh, that is uh, really important. But human life, which this command refers to, this is not dealing with um, animal life, but with human life. Uh, is peculiarly important. And it should be noted that this commandment, so I'm so glad that you started with Genesis 9, this commandment requirement uh, precedes the Mosaic law. Now, of course, in an important sense, we recognize the whole of the Decalogue precedes the Mosaic law in the sense that God's moral law uh, is creation law for creation and has bound human beings from the beginning of creation but the 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 articulation of this particular law happens after the flood as you've read where god talks about the image of god in human beings as the fundamental reason for forbidding murder the murder of a human being and interestingly as well in that passage that you read uh that human beings are charged with, uh, we'll see human governments particularly, are charged with recompense, with retribution for the taking of human life. And the reason given is that human beings are made in the image of God. So the root of this command is the recognition that life belongs to God, all of life, it's in his hands, It can only be taken lawfully. It can only be taken, in other words, where God's law requires it. Other than that, we're forbidden from taking human life. Now, the, the Hebrew term, ratzak, here, is some translations, I think the King James re re Version renders it, you shall not kill. Uh, more modern mm. translations render this, you shall not murder, which I think is closer to the force of the meaning of the commandment. Uh, essentially, 
this 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 term in in Hebrew means it, it's narrower than kill, um, but it's somewhat broader than murder because it would include um, manslaying, uh, manslaughter, mm-hmm. um, the accidental uh, taking of life, accidental well. or uh, not premeditated, not pre- exactly. So there are it would be a, it would it would be broader than. Um, a very narrow definition of murder in the modern legal sense, um, but it would be um, sorry, it would be broader than the than um, murder in the modern legal sense, but it would be narrower than the idea of killing because there are obviously, right. and we can talk about some of them, many places in Scripture where uh, not only does God permit the taking of human life, but He actually requires it. So um, mm-hmm. God doesn't contradict Himself. Right. And actually, as you were talking there, that's uh, exactly where my mind was going, that uh, in, some, in some cases, uh, the penalty, the, the death penalty, the capital, capital punishment is required uh, for, for a crime. And in yes. some cases, it's what, uh, what we might call a maximum penalty. You, it's, not, it's not required, but it is available to uh, to the case, depending on, well, I'm not sure what exactly it would depend on. Uh, so maybe you can uh, clarify that as well. There are cases where, where the death penalty is, is a, available or potentially available, but not required. Yes. And some cases where it is mandated. Yeah. Well, that's actually um, n- not a bad place to to pick up that point um, uh, about the whole issue of. Of, of crime and punishment, because, of course, one of the mm. areas where God does require the taking of human life, as we read in Genesis 9, is in the case That's of right. the murderer. It's very interesting that modern culture is very happy to take human life uh, with regard to abortion, to take innocent life in abortion yep. and euthanasia uh, and infanticide increasingly, but mm-hmm. it is not willing to take life where God requires it in the case of the murderer. Uh, so it is, it's a, it's a, it's a interesting thing that modern culture tends to reverse God's requirements. So where God demands that life be protected, and we'll come to that in a moment because the the negative we're dealing with right now with the negative aspect of this command, the positive aspect concerns the protection of life, care for life. But where God actually requires the protection of life, the modern uh, states, modern culture in the West uh, takes life. And where God requires the taking of life, as in these capital uh, offenses, the modern state refuses to do it. So, we have a reversal of God's order, which we would probably say is logical given the religious position of the West today and our and our transition from being a, a, a broadly Christian culture to an increasingly paganized culture. But let's just pick up that issue for a moment. So there are a number of death penalties in terms of capital punishment in the Bible uh, that 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 cite the death penalty as available to the magistrate. Some of those uh, we would say, in light of the fullness of God's word revelation in and through Christ, 
uh, have been altered in their significance. And so, uh, for example, Sabbath laws significance has, has been altered. Some of the, uh, the, the capital offenses will have been modified by the fact that um, the reality of Israel's position living in the immediate presence of God in terms of the cultic worship of the temple where God's throne room was literally right there amongst them in the tabernacle. Uh, and so certain uh, requirements regarding idolatry amongst the covenant people in the presence of God. That's a, a, a perhaps a, a discussion that we could have as a, as a follow-up maybe to our Ten Commandments series to discuss biblical penology in a bit more detail. So Without getting into all of that, how some of these things have been modified, what we can say is that there are a variety of capital offenses in the Bible. But in fact, all of them, other except one, uh, could be dealt with in terms of punishment through means other than the death penalty. So the, the mm. although the death penalty was available to the magistrate, for a variety of offenses, including things like kidnap and rape and so on. Mm -hmm. It seems that from the biblical material that uh, exile or some form of financial restitution, as was imposed by the family, uh, the victims or the judge, uh, could stand in place of the, the, uh, the death penalty. So when you when you deal with the vast majority of death penalties in scripture they are maximum penalties much like we see in our own law today this is the maximum penalty that could right. be applied there is a great deal of judicial flexibility available to the to the magistrate and uh very often other forms of of um retribution were utilized in those situations however there is an exception to that no form of restitution or retribution other than the death penalty was permitted in cases of first degree murder that's clear from numbers chapter 35 so right. moses makes clear in numbers 35 that you will accept no ransom no restitution no other form of um recompense for the for the life of the murderer Murder in God's economy here, in terms of the punishment, requires by God the death penalty. And part of the purpose of that, um, there are a number of purposes, of course, and there are all kinds of, we haven't got time here to digress into the various theories of punishment, uh, that, you know, there is the the issue of restraint, uh, reform, um, restitution, and so on. There are many significant things about those elements to the effect of or or even um, the whole notion that uh, uh, a punishment will will mean that it will deter other crimes. Th th those may all be significant in their place, but the fundamental issue in Scripture is tribution or retribution uh, in terms of God's order. And it was important that uh, to God, it is important to God, that career criminals, that those who murder, who commit the, the most heinous offense of taking the life of another human being, are not permitted to, uh, to continue to take the lives of others 
and are not permitted to mm-hmm. uh, to live because uh, it is life for life. Uh, and that yeah. is the, the, the principle of tribution is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That is the punishment needs to fit the crime. In fact, in um, in Obadiah, verse 15, uh, we see why the penalties are appropriate to crimes. Um, as you have done, the scripture says, it shall be done to you, your deed shall return on your own head. And uh, you can you can see uh, similarly uh, in Exodus 21, 23 through 25, this is the fundamental principle at work in God's law. And actually, if you want to understand the logic of punishments within the law of God, the logic of penology, it is right there in Obadiah. As you have done, it shall mm-hmm. be done to you. Your deed shall return on your own head. God does not want the murderer, the first degree murderer, to live. The person who has deliberately taken yeah. the life of another human being because the image of God is in human beings. And if we refuse to do what God requires with respect to the murderer, we're despising the image of God and we're despising the source and the giver of all life. That's why it's so significant. And so it is interesting that of all these commands, murder is the one that God does not allow for other forms of restitution, other forms of punishment. Uh, This is the one that requires the death penalty. And I think that is a somewhat of a nail in the coffin of the pacifist argument of people like John Howard Yoder and the Anabaptist tradition that wants to, in, to, to, to you know, believe that somehow the Bible endorses pacifistic notions with respect to, to not just to murder, actually, but to war and self-defense and all of these things. No, this is something where God requires the taking of life. It's crystal clear in the Bible. And actually, that doesn't change. I should add that that doesn't change in the in the Newer Testament because Paul in the book of Acts actually says, if I've done something that deserves death, I do not refuse to die. That's a good point. Yeah. That was an apt metaphor about uh, the nail in the coffin. <laughs> uh, okay, so we've uh, we've talked about uh, sort of the, uh, the just the just punishment for murder. Uh, we've talked about the, uh, the just uh, application of that punishment by the magistrate. Uh, but we've also, uh, we mentioned earlier that uh, there is, there are le- less than lethal uh, uses of, uh, of unlawful force or of violence or of hatred uh, or of things that, uh, that are, that would fall under this, uh, this, umbrella of murder mm-hmm. and this is uh clearly seen uh in matthew five twenty one, and going forward jesus sermon on the mount where he intensifies he takes this command affirms it intensifies it to say you've heard it said and it's a paraphrase i don't have it with me you've heard it said that you you shall not murder but i say to you whoever hates his brother whoever says to him you fool uh, is also guilty of this mm-hmm. and I guess yeah how how do we how do we understand and apply we we've talked about how how murder is a is a premeditated thing uh is that uh, is that what Christ is getting at uh, here in the sermon on the mount that uh, that we are we're cultivating 
a murderous attitude towards another image bearer? Yes, well, one of the things the Lord Jesus does with all of the commands, with his exposition of the law in Matthew 5, is to deepen our understanding of it and get to the religious root of the problem, which is the heart. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so um, we see the, the, the deepening of this and the significance of it and and we begin to see how it applies to 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 all of us not just the 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 person who has taken the life of another human being and we and we should add that this does not mean that there is no potential forgiveness or salvation for a murderer just because the the death penalty mm-hmm. is appropriate we see that king david uh committed murder um, that's right but nonetheless he, he he found a place of repentance of course there was no higher authority than david who was the king to to bring to bear uh the punishment only god could do that and actually we see that death did fall upon his first son with bathsheba uh mm-hmm. but um saul uh who became the apostle paul uh was a murderer um mm-hmm. or at least a man slayer so it's not that god's requirement at the social level um demolishes the 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 idea of forgiveness not at all um but it it does talk about the social penalty there at any rate jesus deepens our understanding of this and shows that there's more layers to this commandment than we might first think actually we can we can see that immediately by the fact that we said that that um, this commandment doesn't so much refer to killing uh, as it does to murder, but it's nonetheless broader than the modern narrow definition of murder. And this is why in the Older Testament, there were cities of refuge that were set up because yes. there were mm-hmm. instances where a person may have unintentionally killed somebody. Maybe they're fighting um and uh one of them falls and bangs their head and uh in 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 the fight where there was no intention of killing somebody has died uh one of the illustrations or the cases i should say in scripture is uh, somebody going out with their neighbor to cut wood and while they're cutting wood together the head of the axe flies off the end um because the axe hasn't been maintained properly and there's been carelessness flies off and hits the, your neighbor who's working with you and kills them. In many of these instances, uh, and the, the neighbor, uh, the family of the person is going to want some kind of vengeance for this. Um, a more modern illustration might be, you know, somebody who's got a very badly behaved and dangerous dog knows they're dangerous um, and the dog gets loose and kills a child. Uh, a biblical illustration that sometimes uses is, is an is an ox that's been known to be dangerous, uh, but is not restrained mm-hmm. by the owner. So there's carelessness. There's what we would call manslaughter, manslaying, which is not intentional murder, but it's covered by this law in the case law. Now, how is that dealt with? It's very interesting. Uh, cities of refuge are established so that where somebody has... Um, killed somebody, but by accident, uh, they can flee to a city of refuge uh, where um, the law required that uh, the, 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 the vengeance could not be taken on them. 
So what would often happen in these contexts where there might have been an accidental death is that the family wants some kind of recompense, vengeance, often the death of the person who's been involved. Think about, for example, in modern terms, dr um, dri dr driving under the influence of alcohol. No deliberate intention right. to harm anybody, but the carelessness, uh, the, the disregard for human life is there. And actually, we know that deserves punishment. So what's it going to be? So, But in a situation where um, somebody's died, but it's not clear where what what was this intentional was this uh was this a deliberate act etc somebody could in the old testament could flee to a city of refuge and once there the the slayer vengeance people trying to take vengeance on this person uh were not allowed to take their life and the judge would then judge whether or not this particular instance uh was in fact uh accidental or whether it was deliberate if it is accidental then the the um there is there is no uh, vengeance cannot be taken on this person uh and they are to remain in the city uh to make sure that that they don't become the victims of of, of lawless vengeance they remain in the city until the high priest has died and that's very interesting because mm -hmm. You see something of again a foreshadowing of Christ there. Um, the, the there needs to be some kind of a death, nonetheless, in order for this person to be able to leave the city of refuge and not have the threat of death hanging over them. So only after the high priest had died could they safely leave the city of refuge and and know that they had the protection of the law. So there is. Um, uh, a significant difference here, um, a significant nuance between murder and manslaying. Now, at the root of all of that, though, is what Jesus is fundamentally driving at, which is an attitude of the heart. Because whether it's murder or manslaughter, manslaying, there is a, an attitude that we are meant to have towards others and towards the life of others. There is a there is a posture that we are meant to to have um, towards the life of our neighbor. And this is what Jesus is really driving at. Um, he says in, in Matthew 5, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going to him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And of course, there's Matthew 5, but there's also Matthew 18, which gives us a, a similar message. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what Jesus is telling us here is that uh, fundamentally is that murder begins, as you said, in the heart of man. It begins with um, anger, that desire for vengeance, hostility and unwillingness to be reconciled and unwillingness to put things right. So that it's something that grows and develops. 
I mean, uh, more often than not, although we can talk about crimes of passion that happen in the moment, uh, taking somebody's life is typically something that is uh, premeditated in cases of murder, something the person has thought about. They've become angry, resentful, vengeful, filled with hatred. And that then leads to the, the taking of life. So Jesus gets right to the root and says, look, you know, this commandment is not just about one particular act. Uh, and we see that, of course, in that first murderer, Cain and Abel, where it was that resentment, that unresolved bitterness and resentment that was crouching out the door waiting to conquer Cain. And um, so Jesus, as always, gets to that religious root so that none, of, none of us can escape the weight of this mm. command, you shall not murder. Where we're, we're, we're lawlessly angry. This, he's not referring there to righteous anger, but to mm. unrighteous anger. Uh, to bitterness and resentment. And he interestingly gives that illustration of being reconciled with your brother. Now think about that for us as Christians in the life of the church. How quick are we to seek reconciliation uh, with those who have wronged us or those uh, who we have wronged? You know, if you are, think about that, if you're in a relationship in the life of your church where um there has been a falling out. Um, how willing are we and how ready are we to be reconciled? If we're actually not willing to be reconciled, we're violating the sixth commandment. And uh, I've seen situations like that in, in, my, in my life and ministry as a pastor, where people will often not realize that they are actually violating the command not to murder by a persistent refusal to be reconciled. And so I think mm -hmm. if we're in one of those situations, we shouldn't be sort of waiting for the other person because sort of Matthew 5 applies it to one. Matthew 18 uh, um, leans the emphasis on the other person. So, yeah. you know, if you, if you feel wronged or if you've wronged, why not be yeah. first to seek to be, to be reconciled? And I think that's really quite a powerful application, isn't it? Because we see immediately that all of us can be guilty of an unrighteous anger, of bitterness, of resentment, of letting those things fester in our hearts and um, being unwilling to uh, be reconciled or to seek reconciliation with those uh, with whom we've uh, fallen out or we've sinned against or, or who have sinned against us. Um, and I think if we in the life of the churches paid more attention to this command here, um, there'd be a lot less disunity in the church, a lot less splits within the church, um, and a lot more willingness to have faithful discussion and uh, uh, open debate and discussion about uh, uh, critical issues, and then a willingness to find a, pl a place of peace and, and, and reconciliation. But so often we're resistant to that, and we don't want to do it. Right. Joe, I, I want to uh, want to keep going on this theme of how this uh, this original negative command uh, entails its opposite uh, positive affirmation. Uh, so God uh, God commands, "You shall not murder." Uh, ent entailed in that is the uh, the opposite to protect and defend and look out for uh, the life of our neighbor. Uh, can you? Talk about 
to uh, I guess you know to to what extent uh, again speaking of Cain and Abel to what extent am I my brother's keeper in terms of looking out for his life and his welfare and uh, how f- how far does this prohibition you shall not murder extend to my responsibility to love my neighbor yeah Yes, that uh, that statement of Cain is interesting. Of course, he was falsifying God's requirement there. Um, God mm-hmm. did not require Cain to be Abel's keeper. In fact, Abel clearly was yeah. quite capable of 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 caring and keeping himself and his his family. Um, the requirement is that he was to love his brother uh, and to yeah. to to honor God with respect to his brother. Um, and Cain wants to sort of sort of twist that and excuse himself as though, well, what, what, how, how, is, how is Abel my responsibility to know his whereabouts and so on and so forth? So there's a kind of twisting and a falsifying there of, of what God um, really required. But um, it's interesting, the Apostle John says in, in 1 John 3, uh, 14 through 16, he says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So this this actual, interestingly here, that... uh, First of all, John shows how the requirement, this commandment, the sixth commandment, is bound up with God's requirement of love. And I think that's really important too. Remember, because Paul in Romans 13 Mm. says, love does no wrong to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. So if we want to really love Mm. our neighbor, we need to obey God's law. There it is again. It's everywhere in scripture, the centrality, the importance of, of God's law. And part of the positive requirement here is that uh, it's not just that we can say, well, I haven't taken anybody's life, there I'm, therefore I'm righteous before the law. Uh, rather, it's that we are obligated in terms of a positive duty to advance life, to protect life, to, to further life. I found it interesting, actually, uh, as I was reflecting on this, uh, looking at the uh, catechism, and uh, question uh, one thirty six of the of the larger catechism, um, and the answer that's given there: What are the sins forbidden in the sixth commandment? Uh, the sins forbidden in the sixth commandment are taking away the life of ourselves or of others, except in the case of public justice, lawful war, or necessary defence. The neglecting or withdrawing of lawful and necessary means of preservation of life. Sinful anger, hatred, envy, desire of revenge, all excessive passions, immoderate use of meat, drink, labor, and recreations, provoking words, oppression, quarreling, striking, wounding, or whatsoever else tends to the destruction of the life of any. Uh, And the, the, the requirement of the positive duty is even longer about peaceableness and kindness and uh courteous speech and behavior, forbearance, readiness to be reconciled, patient bearing and forgiving of injuries, uh, the requiting good for evil, comforting, 
the suckering, the distressed, protecting and defending the innocent. It's very interesting. And, and actually, the catechism here is is right to defend and exposit the significance of, uh, of this command here. It's not just don't take somebody's life, duty fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, in fact, the catechism goes so far as to say, look, you know, cheerfulness is enjoined upon us with this requirement not to murder because, um, you know, a joyful heart is life to the bones. So we are required to further life. Now, of course, in the immediate, that would involve what the catechism says there, um, self-defense, defense of our family. That furthering life means that we do have to defend uh, life and property. Even there, though, um, lethal force is limited uh, in Scripture. If if your home yeah. is broken into, for example, in the case law of the Bible at night, um, and you in that situation, you you believe that the the goal is the taking of your life, then yeah. lethal force is permitted. But if the sun has risen, and there are other means for you to uh, deal with the intruder, uh, get help, uh, get your family to safety, etc. Um, you can't take that person's life. So, so there, there is yes, you you can defend yourself. Um, you can rescue your family. I remember that famous incident of Abraham. You remember when Lot is carried away by um, uh, by force um, by uh, an army. Yeah. Um, Abraham, who is a is a wealthy man, has many servants. Uh, and he, I think he takes three hundred armed servants, if men, memory serves me correctly. That's right. And he rescues yeah, raises Lot. A militia. Yeah, he raises his own militia and rescues Lot by force. So, uh, and of course, um, just war, which we haven't got time to talk about, uh, just war theory, but just war, the preservation of the nation and the land. Somebody's not guilty of murder there because they are furthering life. Uh, protecting and preserving life. Now, of course, this would also require that we are concerned with protecting life in the womb, unborn children. That's right. Uh, that we are concerned for the um, uh, elderly, the vulnerable, the disabled, those who may be made vulnerable to euthanasia, um, and, um, you know, assisted death, uh, who may be vulnerable to abuse and oppression or kidnap or enslavement. Uh, this we have to be concerned about as Christians. The requirement of God's law is that we further the life of others. So anything that furthers life and advances people's life, um, care, kindness, courtesy, gentleness, these are the kind of things uh, the things that bring health and life to people are the things that God wants us to be concerned with. Uh, the uh, The Bible is is clear, for example, to take perhaps you know a, a topical issue for our culture today in the West, which is so addicted to um, abortion uh, and uh, basically state sanctioned murder uh, of the unborn, and and increasingly in the West, state sanctioned murder of the elderly is that, uh, well, just read Psalm 139 and see what God says about life in the womb. Case law shows Mm -hmm. in the book of Exodus that uh, in the incident of, for example, a woman getting, a pregnant woman being caught up 
in a struggle that's going on between between two men, if those uh, if it causes a, a premature delivery of those children and there is harm, it's murder. Um, that's right. So that's that's life in the womb. There is no and there is no um, point at which you see what Jeremiah talks about being called uh, from his mother's womb. You see that John the Baptist leapt in his mother's womb when. Uh, Mary comes and, and meets with Elizabeth. You think about the reality of the incarnation. At what point mm-hmm. could we possibly say that Jesus Christ is not a person once uh, the, the seed of, of, of God um, has been planted? The, the, the conception is by the Holy Spirit, Scripture says. So that at the conception there, we're dealing with God the Son. We're dealing with mm-hmm. the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no point in the in in uh, in the development of a human being. You know, there's there's our conception and there's our death. Beyond that, it's just we're getting older. As, as we're conceived, and then we get older till we till we die. Uh, there's no point in there where we can say, well, oh, here they're not a person yet, or here they're not a person yet. Um, no, we are persons religiously, ethically, morally, from conception. And uh, uh, there's no um, scientific point where you could say, ah, at this point, they're not yet a person. So, you know, abortion um, in scripture is is murder. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's, it's, of course, uh, an issue where to further life, we should be concerned with care for pregnant mothers. We should be concerned for those who've got unplanned, unwanted pregnancies. Um, uh, but we should, uh, and we need to, and people who have, of, of course, been caught up in the sin of abortion, of murder, need to find the, a place mm-hmm. of forgiveness through Christ and in the gospel. But we cannot um, try and duck the reality that what our culture is doing today by way of euthanasia and abortion is falls under the sanction of this commandment. This is an unlawful taking of human life. And the requirement, the positive requirement of this command is not that just that we ourselves don't murder somebody or don't euthanize somebody or don't participate in an abortion, but that we advance life by seeking to protect it. That means uh, uh, seeking to uh, outlaw, reduce and outlaw the reality of abortion. It means seeking to stop, to reduce, to stop uh, euthanasia in our country, um, in our nations. Uh, it means in, in those two areas that have been now you know, defended by the law in our, in our nations for so long and given legal sanction that we need to openly and actively oppose that lawlessness. Um, that moves against God's command. So there, there are two obvious ways in which we can uh, obey this command in terms of the positive duty enjoined upon us. But there are many, many other ways that are as simple as showing kindness and compassion uh, to our neighbor, speaking well of our neighbor, advancing the life of our neighbor in any way uh, that we can. Right. So there, there's much more. This is a uh, four or five words in this commandment, but as we've talked about, there's much more to it than at first meets the eye, and that's fleshed out 
in the uh, in the case laws and throughout scripture. Next week, uh, I there are a couple of things that I had on the slate here. I want to save them for next week because next week we've got uh, Kyle Thompson of the Undaunted Life podcast. He's going to be our special guest and we're going to revisit uh, this same commandment. So there's a couple of things here uh, about self-defense and about the role of the state in particular that uh, that I want to sit on for now and pick up again for an extended discussion next week with Kyle. Excellent. That's uh, That's going to be our conversation for today, for this week. Joe, it's great to, uh, to see you, to hear from you. From all of us here at the Ezra Institute, I remind you that from him and through him and to him are all things. May God alone be glorified. We'll look forward to next week with you again.